Well, good morning. So good to see you again today on this wonderful, warm day. My name is Thomas, and I'm one of your pastors here at Parkview, and it's my pleasure today to open up our Bibles together to Deuteronomy chapters 5 and 6. So if you want to do that now, it's a wonderful thing to do, to have your Bible open, whether you do that with a physical Bible or on your phone or however you like to do that. Today we are continuing our series through the book of Deuteronomy, focused on these Ten Commandments. And um, I have to say, you know, last week uh, Doug Fern got us started with sort of an overview, kind of reorienting us as we, as we came back to the, Deuter- uh, the book of Deuteronomy. And this week we really launch into the actual content, the, the first commandment. And as Jesus said, it's the most important one, so I hope I can do a good job. Most important one, no big deal. Well, yesterday I was doing a wedding. In fact, I was standing right here. Nice, wonderful, beautiful couple. I don't know if they're here, but um, here uh, just yesterday, uh, about 16 hours ago, and it hit me as I was, you know, sort of conducting these, you know, I'm sort of here almost as an official, like, vow, you vow this, you need to make this promise to this person, and it's it's very formal, isn't it? Um, And it just struck me as I was, you know, of course, I'm also thinking about preparing to preach the next day about this command to love, the command to love. It's not often that we we think of relationships as existing in sort of a a different realm than law, than legal, than, you know, the the rules, the promises, the vows that we have to keep. Um, And yet, there I was, you know, preparing, you know, we're doing a wedding, we're getting married, sort of our, our biggest, you know, celebration of love that we sort of do, and what are we doing? We're making these promises, we're making these vows, we're making this, and, and it made me reflect, if, if you ask someone, if, if someone who doesn't know Christ, if someone who's sort of just investigating Christianity were to come to you and say, hey, you know, what are the vows that you make as a Christian? You stand up there, you get married or whatever, and you say this, I proud, you know, for sicker, for, you know, poorer, richer, all those things, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would the vows be? I think it'd be something like this, the Ten Commandments. And if that's, that's, it's a good start at least. So the book of Deuteronomy, you know, as we, as we have worked through this, we remember that these are the sermons that Moses gave to the people of Israel, God's people. They're on the plains of Moab, about to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering around in a desert, a journey that should have taken 11 days from exiting Egypt big event from slavery into the promised land, a journey that should have taken 11 days, took 40 years because of the disobedience, and they got a fresh start. Great. Here's how we start, is with the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, Molly already read Deuteronomy 5, 7, and I'll kind of be working my way through what we're going to do, and you'll notice this especially as you got your weekly email, and we really encourage you to read the passage ahead of time so that by the time I'm up here, it's sort of your second time hearing it. Um, but is that we see uh, in the whole structure of the book of Deuteronomy that it's the Ten Commandments act almost like kind of a, a table of contents, almost like an index for the book of Deuteronomy. So that when you look at the first commandment, uh, it's actually sort of explained and applied all through chapters 6 through 11. So today's passage is Deuteronomy 5-7, one verse, but it's also chapters 6 through 11. I won't be reading them all. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but uh, hopefully maybe you can find some time during the week. And next week, they'll be sort of the same thing. So keep an eye on the email, all that kind of stuff. And I want to recommend one resource, um, 10 Words to Live By. Uh, 
you might have noticed where we got the sermon series title. The cat's out of the bag. We got it from this book because we think it's a good book. And uh, maybe you want to learn a little bit more about the Ten Commandments. We are not making a class. We're not making any sort of structure to go with this, but we just recommend that you read it. And I'll do you one better. After the service, go talk to a friend, someone you're milling around in, in our worship center space here. Find someone, say, hey, you want to read this with me? And do it. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, Deuteronomy 5.7. Here's what I want you to hear from Deuteronomy 5.7 today. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm going to unpack this quite a bit, of course, but this is the main message that I want you to hear if you remember nothing else of this. To honor God by loving him with your whole self. Honor God by loving him with your whole self. This passage teaches us three expectations that God has for a relationship with him. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we, as we come before you, ready to join ourselves to you yet again, um, the one who made us, the one who loves us more than anything, that you have shown us. We, we're not left in the dark about what you expect from us and what we can expect from you. So we praise you for this word, and we pray that you would apply it deeply to our hearts so that we can become the people that you made us to be, the people that we know we ought to be, and that we so often fail to be. We pray that you would send your spirit to form us into first commandment kinds of people, to become a first commandment honoring, the most important commandment, Lord. Help us get this right, please, to become a first commandment loving, honoring, observing church for your glory, for the sake of one another here, and for the good of our community. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wonderful. So three expectations that God has for our relationship with him. The first and most straightforward is this. God expects our relationship with him to be exclusive. Exclusive. If you're a note taker, there's your note. It says this in, in Deuteronomy 5.7, you shall have no other gods before me. And I'll also be spending a lot of time in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. So if you want to have your fingers sort of in there, that's a good place to go. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Our relationship with God is meant to be exclusive. We shall have no other gods before God. Or uh, if your Bible, like mine, might have a little note at the bottom where it says, or besides God. No gods before God, no gods beside God. God will not be the first among many gods in our lives. He will not be one option among many. Uh, it is not a ranked choice ballot. God will not be your co-pilot. God will not be your sidekick. He will not be your guru, your life coach, your influencer, sort of passively offering uh, non-judgmental affirmation so that you can achieve your own life goals uh, with a dose of encouragement. No. Because God is our creator and because he, of his great love for us, he demands to be in the driver's seat of our lives. You shall have no other gods before me. This is one of the core themes of the book of Deuteronomy is wholeness, purity, single-mindedness, single-heartedness toward our creator. God wants all of you, all to himself, all the time. 
And this uh, is not an unreasonable request for him to make. And perhaps you're here and you're new to Christianity, you're sort of still exploring or just checking it out. Here's why that's not weird for us. Here's what we believe about this God that we've learned about in this book that has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. First of all, he's the creator. He has created everything of his own power simply by speaking it into existence. He speaks reality into being. He made us. So of course we're his. Of course he can demand that of us. Secondly, God is the provider. Not only does he create us, speak reality into existence, but he is the one who constantly is sustaining us. The Bible tells us uh, that God holds the world together moment by moment. If your engine stopped working on the way here, you probably had a very hard time getting here. I'm very surprised that you're here if your engine stopped working on the way here. If God stopped working as I was speaking, reality itself would crumble to pieces. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus upholds the, the universe by the word of his power in continuous action by God to keep things working the way that they do. With all of its natural laws and physical phenomenon and things that we think just always happen because that's the way the world is, actually happen because God is who he is. And that's the way he would like the world to work. Gravity is his. <laughs> because the God who spoke the stars into existence looked out and saw that the world needed one of you. That's why you're here. So of course he can expect us to be a, a faithful spiritual spouse to him. Be faithful to me. No other gods. Now, this, this is the God. That's the kind of God who asks you for, his, for your whole heart. Uh, and one of the most uh, prevalent images in the Bible for our relationship with God is marriage, just like I mentioned before. And so that's why what I mean is that the first commandment asks us just quite simply to be a faithful spiritual spouse to God. None other. Is it unreasonable to expect that of your spouse? I don't think so. <laughs> just me, right? That's what, we're, that's what we're agreeing to. He expects our exclusive love. And if God is who he says he is, and he is, then uh, it makes sense that he would command our complete loyalty. There is nothing uh, greater that he could give to us than to expect us that of us. God is jealous for our love, but he's not a madman. God has our best interest at heart. To live within God's will is to live along the grain of reality and along the grain of who God made you to be. Now, this doesn't mean we love no one else. Of course not. I mean, we heard the words of Jesus in Mark 12 as he's debating in the temple. Um, of course not. God will take our love and direct us to give it to others. That's, that's the wonderful thing about God. But first, uh, it's because we have given it to him first that then he tells us, now go love your neighbor. Now love your children and your spouse and all those other things. But only when we have given first to ourselves first to him unreservedly. And that's why Jesus calls this the most important commandment. Martin Luther said that there's no other commandment of God that we break until we have broken the first commandment. Uh, every single one. So, our relationship with God is exclusive. Exclusive. So we must honor God. You must honor God by loving him with your whole self. And only him. Secondly, our relationship with God is comprehensive. 
comprehensive. It's exclusive, but it's also comprehensive. And let me read uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, so you can see this. It says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So not only are we to be totally loyal only to God, a loyalty, uh, but a loyalty that is pervasive, that is comprehensive, our whole lives, every aspect of them. Do you hear? It almost becomes silly. Uh, when you're rising, lying down, you know, that's a good time to be uh, loving God. Um, standing up, that's a good time to be loving God. Um, you're standing up, good time to love God. Walking around, walking along the way, great, good, that's a good moment to be loving God. Uh, basically, I think it's pretty obvious, whatever you're doing. <laughs> you notice that thing about frontlets, you know? It's basically, it's, it's the, the, the view through which you see the world. If this were written in today's language, I think it would be something like glasses. Let, them, let God's word and love for him change everything about the way that you do everything, about the way that you see the very world that you live in. Loyalty to God is not just exclusive, it's also comprehensive. Our relationship with God is meant to shape every aspect of our human existence. Loyalty to God can be expressed in every single thing you do, every second of every day. We might paraphrase it by saying, love God with all your whole affection, your whole intention, and your whole strength. And you notice that it's so clear that God's character, God's self-revelation, who he is, is meant to be all over, have his fingerprints on every single second of our lives. There is, and the good news about this is that there is no area of your life where there is not an opportunity to live in a way that puts a smile on God's face. Isn't that wonderful? We do not live in a world of sort of dead matter and minerals and that just sort of we happen to be here on this rock and let's make the most of it and uh, try to find some meaning in our work and try to, you know, enjoy life and love people and all that kind of stuff. No, we live in a world charged with the grandness of our creator who has given us good things to do every single second of every single day that are meaningful to him, to us, and the people around us. And I think it's, it's unfortunate that we have to, I think, say this um, simply because it's only natural for us to think about life like this. I have several priorities. I've got my career. I've got my family. I've got um, sort of my hobbies and a few other things, a few buckets where I sort of pour my energy, my time, my commitment, and my affection, and all those sorts of things. And being a Christian or being a religious person or whatever means that uh, among those, I've added one. Now I've got my career, my education, my, you know, all these things, and I've added God. And God has said, please, I'd love some of your time if you could give me some of your heart, some of your affection, and being a Christian means, and then it's my job as a pastor to come up and say, hey, don't forget the God bucket. He needs some stuff too. No, not at all. It's more like this. About 400 years ago, two scientists in the UK 
a Dutch one and an English one, found a way, wait for it, to magnify objects about 250 times. And you know what they discovered? There are tiny little bugs and germs everywhere. <laughs> uh, this feels significant at this moment, uh, and I'm so glad we're past uh, the worst of things. But this was the first observation of microorganisms, right? And uh, previously, it was sort of a mystery. How do we get sick? What is causing food to go bad? And why is there decay? What is, what's going on? And so naturally, there were sort of all of these sort of ideas about you know, why, do, why those things happen. Some of them very strange ideas about how those things happen. Uh, but when they looked through their little rudimentary microscope and they said, oh my goodness, there's some stuff <laughs> around here. The, the next two or 300 years of human existence was basically a huge revolution where we began to realize how pervasive the effects of that discovery were for science, for food, for medicine, for everything that sort of happens in our lives. Um, I'm so thankful for that discovery. <laughs> but if that's, if that's the kind of revolution that sort of changed everything about our world then, from simply looking through a microscope and discovering germs and, and microorganisms, what happens when we come to see that God is who he says he is, that the gospel is true, that Jesus is not in the grave, it's not just a small little revolution where we sort of say, oh, I guess we'll change a few things about the way we live our life. Uh, we should probably, you know, clean things with bleach and so forth. No, every single aspect of our lived existence undergoes a revolution. If God really is the creator of all things, of, of relationships and raspberries, and black holes and black canvases and daily commutes and dishwashers and everything, holding it together by the word of his power, then it must be true, you can create those things for nothing, that there's no aspect of your life under the sun that is not transformed or could be transformed to live in loving expression, loyalty to the king of all. Do you see the grandness of this vision? This is... See why Jesus would call this the most important commandment of all? He wants to set off a revolution in your life that changes everything about you. Now, Sunday morning, right now, as we, we have sung to the Lord together, we are sitting under his word. I'm trying to say only the things that God is saying in his word and apply them in our specific time and place. And we're worshiping together and we're loving God. We're uniting our hearts together. It's an echo of eternity. It's glorious. But... It's just the beginning, just the beginning. That's why uh, in a few minutes, Andrea is gonna come up here. Wonderful Andrea, our women's ministry director. Just get to know her, she's great. Um, she's gonna come up here and she's gonna give a benediction and then she will send you. Do you notice when you, you come in, Pastor Steve received you? Do you know what we're trying to sort of do there? The point is you haven't come here for one little sort of the, to fill up the God bucket for the week and then go and do other stuff and then come back and we'll do some more God bucket stuff. Rather, we're receiving you from the week of love of God and we will send you back into the rest of loving God, which is what happens the rest of the week. The only difference is we're gathered here to love and worship God and then we'll be scattered to love and worship God. 
And I know because I was in the, our little rehearsal this morning that that is exactly what Andrea plans to do, is to send you. That is what we were doing. It's not the end of loving submission to God. It's just the beginning. It's just, it's a transition from, from gathered worship, gathered love to scattered worship and love. Applying this first commandment to every single realm of your created existence. And it's very good news. And this passage talks about three specific realms where our relationship with God, the, this, this command to love God, is, should be shown in sort of everyday obedience to him. And I'm going to work through them in sort of broad strokes just to sort of fire your imagination with thoughts about what this could look like in your life. So, first point of application. We see this in chapter 6, verse 6. It says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And this one will probably seem the most obvious, but our relationship with God must change our internal affections, our wholehearted outlook on our internal, private life. Our thinking, our meditating, our learning, what I said before about it should be the frontlets between your eyes, the glasses, the lenses through which you observe the entire world. We are, I don't know if you've noticed, but as you read through the Bible, one of the peculiar things that we're often called to delight we are commanded to delight. We're commanded to love God, to delight in the things that delight him, to love the things that he loves, to despise the things that he despises. Did you know that God wants to develop holy emotions in you? God created emotions. He seems to like them. <laughs> but he wants to transform them. God intends to sanctify your gut reactions. So that they aren't the thing that, and I'm speaking to my own shame here, so that they aren't the thing that I use to excuse my sinful responses, but they're actually the thing that draws me toward righteousness. He intends to sanctify your gut reactions, your emotions. If, if you're here and your relationship with God feels like continual drudgery and duty and grinding obligation and why am I here? Now, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> duty, yes, duty is part of obedience. Following God's law, doing it, but he commands us to love. Duty is just the doorway to delight, which is the ultimate goal of relationship, isn't it? A young musician sits down at the piano, right, and practices their skills. Duh, 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 duh. I won't harm you anymore with my singing. Um, why, do, why are they doing their scales? Do you, do you practice scales so you can sit down in 20 years and do your scales? Goodness, no. <laughs> you do it so you can sit down and without even thinking about it, play an arpeggio or whatever it is. I don't even know what it's called. Play a ballad. Play a, right? Why do you, you know, I'm looking at, I see Aubrey and I'm thinking, when you dance, you, you practice the fundamentals and you stand at the bar and you do all, I can't do it, but you, you do those things not because you love standing there and doing your daily exercises, it's so that when you go out and you perform something, you can do it without even thinking. They're duty now, but they become delight later. You're learning a language. You have to learn the conjugations of verbs, and do you enjoy that? No. You want to go to Spain and be able to speak the language. Duty becomes delight. Just this week, we were sitting down for, for lunch, and my little son, Jack, um, was having trouble obeying, <laughs> and he, he said that to us. 
he said, you know, we're, I forget exactly what we're telling him, you need to sit on your buns, you know, eat your, eat your meal, all that kind of stuff. And he's had different ideas, of course, he's too. But he just said to us, in this moment of sheer tenderness to us, he just said, Mom, I'm having trouble obeying. And what do you think that did to our hearts as parents? I, I am convinced that one of God's favorite prayers to answer in our lives is when we look to him and say, God, I know what I should be doing. I'm, just, I'm having so much trouble doing what I know I ought to be doing. I know what the right thing is to do, but I don't even want to do it. Will you help me want to do it? That, that is the level to which God intends to transform you from the place where you, you know, at least you know God's words, you know what you ought to be doing in a given situation, you've developed the wisdom, but your heart isn't there yet. God intends to make us whole disciples of Jesus. And that means, it does mean embracing certain duties, but it means being transformed into a world of wonderful things for God to say and do and love, a world enchanted with God's presence and plans that he has called you into. It's in here. <laughs> Read it a lot. <laughs> and you will, the world will become alive with what God has called you to. Secondly, so that's personal, internal, heart, affections, all of that. But secondly, we see in chapter 6, verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. And this is talking about the world of the home, the world of primary relational obligation and influence, which for most people is the context of family. You know, your children, um, your close friends, and those kinds of, kinds of things. And so our sec let me get back to what I was saying before. We have this exclusive relationship with God, only God, but it's also comprehensive, and that means in the home, in the family, uh, your relationships of primary accountability. Your relationship with God should transform the culture of your home. Now, here's the simplest application I can give. Read the Bible together, pray together. Uh, it, it should be a normal, regular habit, regular routine, to read the Bible together, open up a passage. It does not have to be, you do not need a commentary, you do not need anything special. Open it up, read five or six verses, and look at each other and say, what does it teach us about God? And pray together. But it's much more than that. <laughs> because to do that, I think you can have that Bible time, which is wonderful and great and the best habit of all, maybe, but, and still keep your relationship with God in, your, in the culture of your home confined to one bucket, one space. It's Bible time. Now we have to get out our Bibles and we think about God and we're going to do that for about seven minutes. We will shut them and then there's the Bible over there and that's where it stays. This passage says much more. Do you notice what it says? Teach them diligently to children and talk about them when you're sitting in your house. <laughs> when you walk by the way, you're going on a walk with your family, right? I don't know. It's, it's talking about all of life, right? And so, when our son hurts his knee, do you know what we do? We pray to God. <laughs> we say, oh, did you hurt your knee? Oh, no, you got an ouchie. And we wrap our arms around and say, oh, man, oh, that's so sad. Let's pray that God will help us heal it. And we pray. 
just a moment. It's the simplest thing. God, will you please heal Jackie's boo-boo? Great. And then we say, let's go get a Band-Aid. Do you need, you know, whatever. You need some love. You need whatever medicine or whatever it is. And then a few days later, the Band-Aid falls off and it's healed. And you know what we do? We say, Jack, hey, did God make your boo-boo all better? He make your ouchie all better? He healed it? He says, yeah, he did. And we say, praise God. He made, your, he made your body heal itself. That's so awesome. Praise God. Later, when he heals, we thank him. When he disobeys, right? We, we don't sort of generically say to him, that's bad. Bad behavior. Even though that's true. That was bad behavior. Uh, we say, Jack, don't you, know, you cannot hit your brother. God gave you hands and muscles, and he made you strong so that you can love people. He gave you hands for helping, not for hitting. That's how God made you. And we say, God wants you to obey mommy and daddy. And when he obeys, we point it out. We say, that's so awesome. God loves when you obey. That's so happy. And, and when we, we goof off in the garden, and Katie, she loves gardening, and the, we have so many strawberries, we don't know what to do with them. Uh, it's a wonderful problem. Um, and we look out, and we see all these beautiful flowers, and I say, Katie, oh, can you believe there are... God could have made one flower, couldn't he have? <laughs> and, it, and the world would have... Would, it, would the world really have been that different? Couldn't he have done... How many colors did he need to make? I mean, goodness. We take a moment to praise him for it. We sing hymns. In fact... I was laughing because we sang Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing and one of my son's favorite songs, except he likes to change the lyrics so that one of his favorite songs to sing is Come Thou Fount, but replace every lyric with the word diaper. <laughs> diaper, diaper, diaper. Okay, it's funny. It's, maybe it's sacrosanct. I don't know. But what I love is that he knows the tune. It's written on his heart. Does, is God doing something through that? It, is, it, is, his, is he a Christian right now? He's two? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the Spirit is doing. But, but the fire is there, so that, or the, the wood is there so that one day God can light a fire in his heart. And I want to take a second to just speak to the men. Because, first of all, I am so proud of you. Here you are, singing, and I look around and I see faithful men here, and I look around when I'm, I hope you don't notice, but I'm spying on you. I look at you, and I see you singing your faces off to Jesus, and I hope you see your children looking at you and learning what it means to follow God. And God has placed, placed a special burden on you and me to form the culture of our homes. Let's do it. Let's be that kind of men. Are you a young man and you're, maybe you are not, you're 18 years old and, and you're still, all of this sounds a little bit crazy and whatever, and you're looking to learn what it looks like to grow into that kind of influence? We want to do that too. Um, and we're going to be having a, a few little events where we get together with young men and old and learn those things together. But the culture of the home is one of the places where we express love and loyalty to the Lord. Third place that I want to see in here is in the workplace. In the workplace. It says this, You shall teach them diligently to your children when you talk of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Write them on the doorposts of your house. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. What does it look like to be a Christian worker? Not long ago, I was talking with a, a physical therapy student. <laughs> He's sitting right there. Uh, <laughs> and he mentions that he feels like, uh, you know, he, he just sort of brought up this kind of gap in his discipleship where he felt like, you know, I go to school, I'm learning how to do physical therapy, and that's great, I'm, it's wonderful. Uh, but then I do sort of a lot of church things, and, and that's good too. But how did they intersect? What did they have to do with each other? And I just responded to him, and I said, well, what do you feel like you've learned, you know, just in your life as a Christian? This is a mature young man. This is, he's, he loves Christ. And, and he, he brought this up, and I said, what has he learned about it? He said, well, I think uh, don't break the rules, you know. Don't, don't be crooked at work, you know. Be ethical. Great. Uh, when you earn money, you know, give, give some of it to church, you know. You give, give it back. And if someone seems interested, share the gospel with them. And I was like, great. But there's so much more. <laughs> God has a vested interest in healing. Did you know that? Did you know that in the end of time, when God brings all of his people together in the heavenly Jerusalem, there will be no more injuries. <laughs> there will be no more death. There will be no more disease. Did you know, do you remember when Jesus came to earth, what he spent so much of his time doing? He was healing people. God has a vested interest in healing people. Many of you are, you work at the hospital. Do you realize this? How, how many times, it's not that everyone will be healed, it's not that everyone in this life will, be, of course not, but healing is something that is done in line with God's stated purposes for his world. God cares about healing. He cares about your work. He's with you in it in a special way. How many times does the Bible talk about the fact that God is the one who ultimately feeds us? That means if you are a farmer or you work at McDonald's, God is actually doing some aspect of his creative care and providence for the world through you. Are you an educator? Are you a, do you see how all of these plot lines are converging in the way that you do your work in a distinctively Christian way not just in the sense that, yes, all those things that he mentioned were right. That's right. We need to be ethical. We need to, you know, God gives us resources through our work, and, and we need to be wise in the way we steward them. All those things are true, and we're gospel people all the time. So, of course, we're, we're thinking of opportunities to proclaim God's truths. But what, if, what a difference it would make if we walked into work. Tomorrow morning, you walk into work with a sense of divine purpose. God has sent me here. He has something for me to do. That God has a distinctive way, and with love and intentionality, and by the power of the Spirit, you can actually honor Him in your work. Not just go for eight hours, come back home, and then the stuff that really matters begins. If being a whole disciple of Jesus means applying God's Word to every part of our life, loving Him with our whole selves, then how could we mark off the thing that we spend most of our time doing from that calling? Do you want to learn more about this? Here, the equipping pastor in me is really coming out, isn't it? Okay, I've recommended two books. and Okay, next. Read this book with us. Are you interested? Every Good Endeavor, Tim Keller. It's about this very topic. Okay, you want to read it with us? Great. Email the office, or I have to run East Campus right after this in like three minutes. But Andrea, our women's ministry director, go up and talk to her and say, I want to read that book. I want to learn about this. Great. Okay, so it changes our workplace. It's exclusive. 
Exclusive relationship with God, comprehensive our relationship with God, and finally, our relationship with God is meant to be covenantal. Covenantal. And I'll just say briefly, but very significantly, this. And sort of as I return to that opening illustration of me standing up here and I'm doing the wedding, and here's what it looks like. A relationship that is, is it just love and no law? Is it just rules and no, 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 it's something more. I'll just remind you of what I reminded them yesterday. What, what can we do when we fail to love God with our whole selves? I mean, doesn't it, I, even as I say it, don't you go, really? Our whole lives, our whole hearts, every single thing about us God calls us to, to honor him with? What, we, what do we do when we fail? And, and if we really give ourselves to him in that, with that kind of obedience, with that kind of love, with that kind of loyalty, how do we know that he will lead us well, that he won't misuse our allegiance to him? Well, this is what I told them yesterday. How can we practice the kind of love that we most desperately need, that we wish people would show to us pure, unadulterated love? How can we both give it the kind of love that we know we ought to give and the love that we know we want to receive for ourselves? Well, the Bible says that love is not something that we first achieve. It is first something that we must receive. See, the story of the Bible is not a story of two friends becoming lovers who then become married. It's first a story of enemies, God and us, we who have turned our backs on him. The good news is that God, it turns out, is not like you and me. Instead of trying to punish his enemies and avenge himself constantly, he does everything that he can to serve and save people like me and you. And so in the most significant moment in history, Jesus Christ, the man who was God, wrote himself into history. He wrote the Ten Commandments and then he wrote himself into history. And on the cross, he died the death that we should die for failing to love God with all our hearts. He lived 30 years of perfect obedience to the Ten Commandments. And instead of being blessed for that obedience, he was cursed. Why? So that you and I, as we go out into every aspect of life this week, can look back to that day and know with absolute certainty that if we failingly and with our best intentions stumble our way toward love for God in every aspect of our lives, he will bless us. He will be with us. He will do something more than forgive us. He will look at you and me like Tuan did yesterday as Justine was walking down the aisle, radiant, with splendor. You, isn't that what you do when you, you go to a wedding? You, I want to look at his face as he's walking her down the aisle. That's one of the most significant looks, right? Oh, a vision of beauty and purity. and Wow, that, when we trust Christ, that is how he looks at us. What, he, what would he not do for you? How would he not take care of you? What, what would he not give up to make sure that you have everything you need? He is worth trusting. He is the only person worth trusting with your whole heart in that way. So let's give him that obedience and as we pray now. Heavenly Father, we want to honor you by loving you with our whole selves today. We want to be whole disciples of Jesus. We want to be a whole church filled with, with whole disciples that we have looked across every aspect of our created existence, the places where you've given us energy and life and opportunity and influence, and seek every possible way that we can honor you in our work, in our family life, 
in our personal affections, Lord, we pray that you would transform us. We pray that you would take this most important commandment and apply it deeply to our hearts, that you would make us radiant disciples of Christ that honor you with every aspect of our beings. Please do all this and more for the sake of Jesus. It's in his mighty name that we pray.